Hello and welcome to the Medjilis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjilis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. Gurban Guli Berdi Mukhamedov is back in charge of Turkmenistan's government. It's been less than a year since he left office and his son Serdar took his place as president, but on January 21st, the Turkmen parliament quickly passed amendments that made a major change to the structure of Turkmenistan's government. For the first time since independence in 1991, the Turkmen president is not the center of power. That now belongs to a recreated body, the Halk Maslahati, or People's Council, which is headed by former president Gurbanguly Berdimukhamedov. So what just changed and what might be some of the reasons for this striking shift of power? To discuss all this, I'm joined by Farouk Yusufi, the head of RFARL's Turkmen service, known locally as Asatlik, and Luka Ancheshi, professor of Central Asian Studies at Glasgow University and author of several books on Central Asia, including Turkmenistan's Foreign Policy, Positive Neutrality, and Consolidation of the Turkmen Regime. Thank you both for joining me today. Farouk, I'll start with you. What, what, just, what just happened to the structure of the Turkmen government? Oh, uh, they abolished <laughs> brand new, like almost brand new uh, bicameral parliament. And if you remember in uh, 2020, they like uh, made changes to the constitution and then they made the parliament bicameral. It was unicameral. And they used exactly the same reasoning that they used this time for abolishing it, saying that uh, the time is not standing still, everything is moving, and we have to adapt to the changes of the time, to the winds of the time. And this time they did the same thing. And uh, back in 2020, I mean, it was obvious that Gurbangulu Birdu Muhammadu was preparing for transfer of power to his son and uh, preparing a, a place for himself after presidency, which would be the head of the upper chamber of the parliament. Uh, this Halk Maslahati. So, and this time they uh, said it's not uh, good, like it's not good enough for, for Turkmenistan, and let's just abolish the bicameral and uh, take out the Halk Maslahati out of uh, t- out of the parliament and establish it as a separate body and call it supreme power body, su- body of the supreme power of of the people. Why they did did this, um, according to what we hear, this was done because Berdu Muhammadov, um, the Gurbangulu Berdu Muhammadov, was not convinced that the project of uh, Serdar Berdu Muhammadov as the president was very successful. He was not happy with how things were done, especially with how uh, Serdar was handling the situation within the family. And according to, to, to the sources, he was worried that Serdar might lose the power altogether, like lose the power from the uh, hands of the of the uh, Berdu Muhammadov family, like wider Berdu Muhammadov clan. So that's why he decided that he would step in and take back the power. Although less than one year ago, he said that it was time to give way for young younger generation to rule the 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 country so that's what happened so now during the same meeting which lasted for about 4 or 5 hours they made sweeping changes like it, it um, first it was when it was announced that there was a um, 
an impression that, I mean, they would take some time, like several months to discuss the changes, but no, they did it during the one meeting and they changed the constitution, changed the, the structure of power, and they also uh, named Gurbangulu uh, Berdimuhamedov national leader of Turkmen people. So his official, uh, full official name now is uh, national leader Arkadak Gurbangulu Berdimuhamedov. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, Luca, I'd like to get your thoughts on on what this change is all about uh, and what it means for Turkmenistan. But also, if you could, um, in your interpretation of these changes, is, does this make any difference in the way Turkmenistan is going to be governed? I am not sure whether it will make substantive change. My, whatever they've done to the institutional uh, sort of infrastructure of the country it clearly shows that there is a trend for uh, constant de-institutionalization of the country. Uh, institution no longer matter. The only thing that matters is the political power of the president, well, the, or the Medimuhamed of family, let's call it like that, which is an indicator that the power was and is kind of, uh, of personal, personalistic. So in terms of how the power is distributed, I don't really see any any difference in the sense is that the power was in the family before this and stays in the in, in the power in, and will stay in the family even after this. So it is not a substantive change. Uh, but the, I think that it, it's, it gives an insight to the kind of relationship between father and son, doesn't it? It's obviously there is well, there must be an element of distrust. Uh, in the way in which the president looks, the former president looks at the current president, or maybe he wants to return, you know, in a very classic Central Asian fashion, as, as the, the returning hero with, who solves the problem of the, the, the current administration. I am not really sure. I, I really don't want to speculate. But the indication that this gives to me, and mind you, this is not the first time it happens. Eh? I'm not sure how many times this monocameral, bicameral, and all these kind of changes happen. Uh, it indicates that institutions no longer matter, have not matter in a while, and all it matters is the power, which or what was once the elite, and now is the family of the Bedi Mohamedovs. It seems kind of elaborate, though, all the, all the uh, you know, effort that went into this, um, just to to transfer power back to Gurban Guli Berdi Mohamedov, I mean, he could have, in theory, he could have uh, just figured out a way to have himself return to the presidency uh, for a number of reasons without having to change the whole institutions, though, right? Well, it's, it, it depends really in the way in which, I mean, how much you you value the institutional framework of, of Turkmenistan. It depends on how, how much you believe that these institutions have any role to play. I mean, there is a general trend. I mean, I, I think that what we're seeing, what we've seen in the last couple of years across the region, actually, is the process of authoritarian regeneration. you got Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, they are all trying to implement strategies to perpetuate their authoritarian power beyond the generation of leaders. I mean, you saw it in Kazakhstan with the Tokayev and Nazarbayev dualism. You saw it in Uzbekistan with the attempts to, to cancel term limits in, in Mirzioyev's favor. And you now see it in, in Turkmenistan where this constant 
change uh, between who's more powerful between power and sun actually indicates that there is the, the, this agenda of changing uh, or perpetuating the power of the family. So it seemed to me that if we only look at the institutional aspect of this, we miss the point. What we should really uh, investigate is the personal component of the power agenda driven towards this. I mean, what now? Why did Berdi Mohamed Senior did do something? I mean, is there an element of boredom? Was he bored just by being a representative figure? Could be, could be, but I, I really don't understand this. And probably someone like Farouk, who got the better idea of what's going on, could illuminate on this, the timing of this move. Yeah, and I do. In the second half of the show, I want to talk about some of the potential reasons why they had to do this. But, so we'll get to that. But Farouk, I wanted to ask you a question too. Um, you know, what what is your service hearing about the reaction of the public in Turkmenistan? Do they understand what just happened? Do they care? They, uh, surprisingly, they do. Like, some, like we've been receiving some, uh, like, feedback from uh, the activists, like, active, not activists in, uh, like, a conventional, conventional meaning, but, like, ordinary Turkmen's who are not indifferent uh, uh, to, to what's happening, they were saying, like, Gurbangul Iberdu Muhammadov just committed a coup because, I mean, he just single-handedly took back power from his son. And, I mean, not that they uh, really do care in the sense that uh, this will somehow change what's, like, the situation in the country, this economic difficulties and corruption. So it's just the same thing, like, father and son, they were... The same thing, and they, I mean, yes, they they are saying that um, they that uh, Grubanguli Berdu Muhammadov just staging a circus, a political circus, like going back and forth, and uh, they don't understand what's I mean, the the public uh, also doesn't understand what's going on, and there are uh, rumors that would sound uh, wild. In ordinary uh, situation, but uh, not in Turkmenistan, that uh, Serdar was not happy with his role, and he was uh, complaining that uh, nothing. I mean, he cannot do anything because there is always a pressure from uh, uh, from his father's presence. He was also frustrated with how things are, like how powerful are his father's sisters, like his aunts. That's why he made uh, some rash movements against uh, his powerful aunts. Like well, he fired one of them from the position in Red Crescent, and then he squeezed out his cousins and uh, a powerful uh, uh, husband of one of the aunts uh, out of the you know, Turkmen economy, uh, depriving them of uh, share in the Turkmen economy. So. Of course, that created some uh, uh, tumult in, in within the family, and the father was not very happy, and he was not convinced that this project of transferring presidency to his son was successful at this point. That's why he decided to intervene by coming back and probably sort out everything. And we don't know what will happen. Like it, it will be uh, interesting to see what will happen from now on. Like will Serdar stay on? Or like, will uh, more of his power t- uh, be taken away? And uh, we, we were also hearing that Serdar was not very comfortable in uh, foreign relations, like especially in, uh, taking part in summits and in negotiations with uh, all the generation of presidents in the region. 
So like all of these uh, circumstances piled up and that's uh, what happened uh, last Saturday. Uh, you know, and I want to talk about uh, some of the other amendments or changes that happened too before we get into deeper into the reasons for the change. There was uh, Berdy Mukhamedov and his family got immunity, something like Kazakh President Nazarbayev used to have. Isn't this true? Yes, like in in the law, and they they adopted the law uh, during that meeting on uh, the national leader and the uh, national leader himself and his family members. They get immunity and they get protection. But um, it it was there already, like the president uh, and the former presidents, according to the constitution, they already had it. But I think this this wording like the protection and the immunity, it was put in that law because there wasn't anything else to put it, it put there, like to give the law a little weight and legitimacy in the eye of in the eyes of the public. Because I mean, who would who would doubt that uh, any m- member of the uh, Berdo Mohameda family is immune for from. Uh, from the law inside Turkmenistan. And of course, like if and when uh, power goes away from uh, Berdo Muhammad family, then this uh, law will mean nothing. It will it will be gone uh, within the day. Like unlike uh, in Kazakhstan, it, it took some time to abolish the law on Nazarbayev's immunity and his family's immunity. But in Turkmenistan, it will it will happen very quickly. So, I mean, that's uh, my explanation. Like, it is uh, this wording was put in the law to give it a weight and 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 volume. Okay, great, thank you. Um, and then, Luke, I got a, a question for you. That you know, they they gave him a new title. They gave Gurbanguly Berdimukhamedov a new title, and he was already Arkadog. Uh, you know, what what is the what do you see as the purpose of, of naming him the national leader of the Turkmen people? Is this what is the symbolism that important? Uh, you know, he seems to be repeating what's happened in neighboring Central Asian countries. Actually, I mean, I think that what we're seeing here it it it's it's some kind of out, outward manifestation of who's really in charge. So obviously, the lesson we learned from Kazakhstan, and I think that this lesson is being repeated here in the Turkmen context, is that. The presidents of Central Asia are not really up for sharing power, either with their predecessors or with their successors. So there is this kind of uh, incapability of sharing power with any other incumbent or predecessor, which, you know, it is a feature of personal power, widely defined. So I think that this change in the name, this change in the redistribution of power between legislative and executive, this change in institutional framework, are all manifestation of some kind of power reassessment we've seen in, in the last few, few, few months. I mean, also, uh, I, I think that there is an element of the moment of some, sorry, father not being entirely happy with the way in which things have, have gone. I mean, if we read the propaganda, of course, it's all, it's all fantastic, but you know, we, we go beyond that. We do. So there must have been some elements of, I know, as Farouk was saying before, the, the, the son, Bedimoyo Jr. engaged in some kind of complaint about how things are, or maybe there were some parts of the elite who were not entirely happy and expected more from him. But there is certain dualism at the top of Turkmen politics. So it, it seems to me that these uh, changes, which are otherwise inexplicable, because 
here we've seen institutional changes in a country where politics is totally deinstitutionalized. So if we just look at that, it makes no sense. If we start going deeper and we realize that there could be some kind of power struggle or some power di- sort of disagreement between the two, then maybe this becomes a more, a more explainable, explicable transformation. Oh, good point. I like that. That's interesting. But uh, we have reached a halfway point in our discussion, so it is time for me to remind that this is the Medjelis podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Benier, host of the Medjelis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. We're talking about the recent changes in the structure of the Turkmen government and how it allowed former President Gurban Berdi Mukhamedov to formally ascend to the top of the government again. Discussing this with me are Luca Anceci, professor of Central Asian Studies at Glasgow University and author of several books on Central Asia, including Turkmenistan's Foreign Policy, Positive Neutrality, and the Consolidation of the Turkmen Regime, and Farouk Yusufi, the head of RFARL's Turkmen Service, known locally as Asad Lik. Okay, let's get into why. Uh, we've already been bouncing all around this, you know, but what exactly is, is prompting the changes? And as something, I'll throw out something, too, that, you know, because of Russia's war on Ukraine, Turkmenistan has all of a sudden had people knocking at its door asking about natural gas for the first time in years, right? I mean, the Iranians have reached out to them. Turkey and Azerbaijan have been trying to work with, with uh, Turkmenistan to get gas to Europe. Uh, China, when, you know, during the recent visit of Serdar at the start of this month to China, uh, Xi Jinping also mentioned, you know, moving forward with line D of the Turkmen gas pipeline network to China. So, you know, uh, what are some of the reasons? And, and do you think that, you know, Gurban Gulliberti Mukhamedov deciding to return also has something to do with the, the fact that there's some bit major potential uh, gas deals lying, you know, on the doorstep right at the moment? Um, start with you, Luca. Well, uh, again, I mean, the way in which the gas deal and the gas revenues in general are accounted for in the Turkmen budgetary system is completely non-transparent which means that we don't know where the money goes, so we don't really need to have a change in the institutional framework to understand how the revenues will be accounted for. Is there still one be in that sense? So it's not, I mean, the family will have unchallenged control over these revenues, regardless who, who's really in charge. I mean, it could be that the, maybe people, I mean, elite push the former president to return and to move to the center stage in order to negotiate other with the foreign partners, but we know that when it comes to gas negotiations, there is a lack of capacity in the Turkmen side, which just goes beyond. You know, it's a problem of 30 years. So it's not really that. I mean, I am not entirely sure, again, how was the connection between this and the gas, even because if you look at the amount of the range of laws that have been changed, they don't really, uh, you know, directly impact on this on the gas, uh, on energy, and any sector, full stop. I, I, I'm also really skeptical about the possibility of, you know, exporting new, new, new direction in the short term. I don't think that the obstacles have been set by, by Serdar. They've been there for a long time. So marginalizing him, I don't think it, it will address the issue. So I think that it is, is there to stay. Maybe strengthening ties with China, yeah, that could be a, a, a way to go, but I am not sure we're going to see any Turkmen gas flowing westwards in, in the short time. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, Farouk, uh, you know, you made the point earlier that Serdar might just be uncomfortable doing foreign negotiations. To some extent, we can understand that when you're standing next to Xi Jinping, who's been in power a bit for a while and is, is starting a third term, when you're standing next to Vladimir Putin, 
who's been in for more than 20 years, uh, meeting with, you know, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan and, and Ilham Aliyev, uh, both of whom have been in power for a long time, and all of whom are older, much significantly older than Serdar Berdy Mukhamedov. It's got to be a little intimidating. Uh, you think that was the reason, or is there more other reasons we should be looking at? Yeah, that was one of the reasons. I mean, that's what, 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 what we are told. I mean, we've been hearing this for several months now. He was, I mean, according to the sources, he was not very happy with his role, with his like, with his uh, responsibilities, because there is always a shadow of 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 his father. One of of his uh, frustrations w- was related to negotiating with foreign fo- foreign government. And interestingly, in the in the constitution, they made uh, amendments like the the <laughs> latest amend amend amendments. Uh, stipulate that the president cannot uh, give uh, his responsibilities to other uh, government officials except several several points in his job descriptions that he can delegate to uh, the national leader uh, the chairperson of uh, half maslahati which is of, of course his father and one of those items is uh, defining the foreign policy uh, negotiating with foreign uh, governments uh, and conducting this foreign policy uh, overall, and uh, yeah, I mean, to to uh, coming back to your question, like yes, yeah, so like with how things are changing in uh, because of uh, what's happening in the world, especially the war in Ukraine. It requires because, the, as you mentioned, people are coming knocking on the door of Turkmenistan asking for energy cooperation. It, it requires someone who can who can deal uh, with this kind of situation and who can negotiate with foreign governments. And probably uh, Gurbanguly Berdu Muhammadov decided that I mean it would be him that uh, has to has to uh, carry out that uh, that task. We've seen that. Uh, during this less than one year, like ten months since uh, Serdar was elected, all the uh, like summits in in Turkmenistan were uh, attended by uh, the father Berdu Muhammadov himself, and also like in one of the meetings, like important meetings in Uzbekistan in November, the Turkic Organization of Turkic Countries. I'm sorry. In Samarkand was attended by uh, Gurbanguly Berdu Muhammadov himself, not uh, Serdar. So it was obvious that Serdar was not comfortable in uh, in uh, in in that in that field. So uh, yes, uh, it was one of the reasons that uh, Gurbanguly Berdu Muhammadov decided to come back. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, you know, Luca, you suggested that that there's something something that we're not seeing, and, and certainly I agree with that. There's more more going on behind the scenes than, than uh, we are allowed to view at the moment. But but I'm kind of curious, just so we can clarify, have, you know, it seemed like a pretty seamless transition from father to son. And of course, many people did think that the father was still running the country. But domestically speaking, uh, I haven't really seen any changes that would indicate that Serdar was doing anything different than his father. Is that right? Oh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I think that, I mean, obviously, we need to simplify things when, when we talk to the general public. I think that when we looked at the transition, we always imagined like only two actors involved, the, fa- the father and the son. Whereas it is important to acknowledge that there must have been a series of agreements, a series of pacts that were made between their family and the elite. 
So obviously the elite sort of were gave their consent to this kind of transition, unprecedented in Central Asia. And they must have been promised something in exchange. We, we don't know what this kind of this pact entailed. The only thing which we can sort of speculate on now is that maybe some of the terms were not respected. And then that's why you got a kind of backpedaling going on. I mean, in general terms, when you have any kind of transition from one system or to one power system to another, especially in authoritarian context like Turkmenistan, there are a series of backdoor uh, agreements made between the elite. We don't know what they are. Uh, we can only imagine, speculate that these have not been fully respected. And it seemed to me that when we enlarge the horizon of our understanding of the transition of last February to a wider elite system, in wider, you know, inverted common, because the Turkmen elite is not that big in general terms, well, we then start to realize that in order to have his son elevated to the presidency, Berdi Mohamedov's father must have given something to the other people who were supporting him. I mean, no one is able to run the country by themselves. This is not the age of Stalin, you know, later, it's certainly not, not now. So it, it seems to me that it's only if we enlarge our sort of the, the number of actors involved, we then start to see that, you know, there could be something that went pear-shaped. So it's not that smooth in that sense. Okay, uh, thanks. And, you know, I, I, before we leave the topic of, of why the transfer happened, I just want to go through some of the other potentials. And, and, and Luca, you had actually mentioned he might, you know, the, the father might have just missed the job. Let's face it. Uh, Gurban Guli Berdi Mukhamedov was not shy of the camera. In fact, he encouraged being filmed doing a, a number of things which could only be described as antics, uh, I think, at this point. But he, he, he certainly seemed to relish being the center of attention. And, and, and as the, the Turkmen service, RFRL's Turkmen service reported, uh, within hours practically of, hi, of him assuming this new role, the posters of him were going on or uh, being put up around the country again. His, his airtime on state television increased uh, a lot. Do you think that there's probably a combination of elements here, but do you think that had a real big uh, influence on his decision to, to come back to the center of power? Well, you know, like the, the symbolism of having, you know, like the, the, the father and son uh, represented, you know, like with the horses, one, you know, on the saddle and the other one standing, it clearly showed that they spend a lot of propagandistic uh, sort of capital on, make it, on making that happening. I am not sure what the expectation of the son were. I mean, this is, he has to work hard. I mean, it's also, he was groomed for it. The, the Serdar has been taking few jobs you know, local administration, deputy ministerial jobs, deputy prime ministerial jobs. So it is not something that it, it came out of the blue. This guy has been sort of groomed for, for this position. I mean, while I certainly don't dispute what Farouk has said, that there has been some kind of complaining from Farouk's side, I, I th- sorry, from Serdar's side, I would say that there's something else here. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we, never, we will never know. Uh, we'll always have to speculate, but I wouldn't discount the external pressure. Externally, you know, we're always within the elite into what happened. And I hope I address your question because, again, you were breaking up a bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was good. Now, I was just, you know, you'd mentioned that he might have, Gurban Guli might have just missed the job being the head of state. That might have played oh, some yeah, well, There the, 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 the certainly is an element of boredom. Like, you are a super powerful president. I mean, what do you do with your time? I mean, you, you, obviously, you don't, do the day-by-day day running on the country. You know, once you do a bit of DJing, a bit of driving, 
then you got to be bored even with that. And then you think that maybe retirement could, could work for you. And then you realize that you missed it and you come back. There's probably a, an explanation which I wouldn't really discuss. We more political psychology kind of, kind of thing. Everything could be in Turkmenistan. Unfortunately, nothing makes sense if we just stop at the surface of things. Going beyond, you know, the murkier side of rumors and gossip, I think that we always right if we go there, unfortunately. Great. Thank you. And Farouk, um, if you could come return to the topic of the problems within the family. You know, we know that uh, Gurban Guli, Berdy Mukhamev's sisters have always had great influence on him. And you had mentioned that Serdar has, uh, has removed some of them from from their, or at least taken them down a peg, removed one sister from her position, but also kind of tampering with the, the cousins' businesses. Can you tell us a little bit more about the, the inner family battle that's been going on, or at least the problems in the, in the family? Yeah, you, you are right that uh, the sisters, of uh, Berd Mohamedov's sisters, had they still do, still have uh, great influence on uh, Gurbanguly Berd Mohamedov. And what after Serdar came, he was not uh, happy. And uh, according to rumors, again, like as uh, uh, Luca r- rightly said, that um, we can only operate on rumors in countries when dealing with countries like Turkmenistan. According to rumors, they had uh, antagonism, antagonistic relationships with uh, his cousins. Uh, Serdar had uh, this kind of antagonistic relations with cousins from long time ago. So once he came to power, he started to squeeze them out and uh, he took over uh, businesses. He put uh, reportedly the cousins owned shopping malls across the country, uh, restaurants. He uh, took them over and put them on sale. He sent uh, his uh, uh, one of his aunt's husband uh, uh, to exile. That's Rejepov. Uh, I forgot his name. No, not the oldest uh, aunt's, but the, the second oldest aunt's uh, husband in exile to Dubai. Uh, I mean, he fired his aunt, uh, Durdnabat Dovletova, from uh, the Red Crescent. And according to the sources, several hundred, up to $300 million of her interests were seized. So uh, and of course, the those sisters would come to Grubanguli and say, "Like, what's going on? Like, can you can you tame your 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 son?" So it was not a very pleasant moment for Grubanguli Ben Mahmedov. And I mean, who can uh, who can fix the situation? Of course, he. I mean, he. And without uh, uh, taking a little more power, a little of of the powers of from his son, he cannot do that. So that was one of the reasons, as I said, like all of these circumstances piled up and uh, resulted in uh, changing of of uh, power structure in Turkmenistan. Okay, uh, thank you very much. Okay, and then this is the last question, and and I'd like to hear from both of you on this. We have a change in the structure of government. Gurban Guli Berdi Mukhamedov is back in power. How long do you see this structure being the structure of government? I mean, is the Hawk Mastahati, do you see it lasting for as long as Berdy Mukhamedov wants to stay in power? Or, or uh, are we, in your opinion, are there more changes coming? Either Berdy Mukhamedov assumes another post, uh, you know, or, or goes back to being president or something like that. I mean, it, it was such a quick change. And Turkmenistan is such, a, such an unpredictable country. Um, you know, should anyone have any faith that, 
Uh, he will, Berdy Mukhamedov will stay in power for 10 more years as the chairman of the Hawk Maslahati, or do you think that uh, it's this is a stage on the way to something else? Farouk, would you like to try that first? Yeah, uh, if uh, Berdy Mukhamedov clan stays in power, Hawk Maslahati will stay there as long as it serves the purposes of the family and Gurbanguly himself uh, in the power. I mean, if uh, he decides that he no longer needs it and it doesn't ha- help him in, uh, in staying power, he will invent something else. Like, it's, uh, I mean, we've seen it. I mean, we we have to remember the history of this uh, of this body. It was there during, I mean, something similar was there during the first president and Gurbanguly Berd Mohammed himself abolished it in 2008 and made um, and established another body which was called uh, the Council of Elders, Yashulilar Maslahati, if you remember. And then uh, yeah, this body lasted for nine years. And in 2017, when he decided that he needs some uh, uh, different body which with uh, uh, seemingly uh, greater power for him to transfer the presidency to, to his son. He reestablished Halt Maslahati and then uh, he made it into, uh, he incorporated it into, into parliament. And then after he transferred the power, he now <laughs> reestablished it as, a, as an old style Halt Maslahati. So he will do whatever to, to stay in power. Whatever but he will establish new and invent new things that would uh, serve his purpose. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. And Luca, same question. I'm I'm thinking of sending Gurban Guli Berdy Mukhamedov a birthday letter, birthday card at the for June. Should I start making it out right now to the chairman of the Hawk Maslahati, or um, should I wait on that one? No, I just call him Mr. President. After all, is he who called the shots? Uh, look, I mean, who can tell really what was going to happen? Again, Farouk was right. The institutional instability of Turkmenistan, monocameral parliament, two chambers, then this kind of, you know, at one point, the, the Kakhmash Karakti was like 2,500 people, which is obviously much easier to control than just a monocameral parliament. Uh, I mean, traditional, uh, you know, tra- traditional way of assembly for, for the Turkmens. We heard it all, really, we heard it all over 30 years. But again, if we just look at the institutions, I don't think that this makes sense. I think that we need to... So this is now a very a very family-based regime. This is no longer just the kind of personalistic, classic the stuff that we see in Central Asia. I mean, this is like Nazarbayev on steroids, you know, in, in that sense, where the first family actually is the first family who has managed to, com- to complete a, a dynastic succession there. So... Th- if there is instability within the family, as Farouk was saying, there could be instability within the elite more widely. And in that sense, there could even be instability within the institutions. Unless this kind, whatever problems they have encountered will, will be addressed in the next few months, I don't really think that we've seen the end, the end of this. If these assets, you know, if this kind of infrastructure that is established now actually works for addressing the problems that, that instigated the uh, the change to start with, then we may see a little bit more. But again, this is all done in at the back of, of the political scene. 
I mean, again, the, the worst part of this is that we're discussing, you know, institutional politics, power play, possibly uh, intra-family, intra-elite struggle. The reality is that whatever happens, the, the Turkmen people would like to endure a few more decades of this family rule, which is hardly conducive to prosperity, well-being, and a, a proper so respect of social and political rights. So if we're not sure who's the winner is between father and son, and maybe a couple of aunties as well, we certainly know who's the loser, and that's the Turkmen people, unfortunately. Well, uh, a realistic note to leave it on, a sad one also. Uh, but we are out of time. So thank you, Farouk and Luca, for joining me today to discuss this. And a big thanks to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjlis podcast producer in Washington, D.C. And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjlis podcast or the Central Asia and Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's website at rfarl.org. Thank you very much, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.